Welcome to the Open Mic Podcast Show with Mike Midgley. Hey, and welcome to the Open Mic Podcast. On today's episode, I'm excited to be covering all things people. Yes, that's, uh, is it a dirty word? Is either the greatest asset, either the greatest liability? We're going to get into all of that type of stuff. Uh, and I know there's uh, differing uh, views around that. But really, the importance about having a dedicated focus around human resources, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And today's influencer is Melissa Aff, the Chief Diversity Officer at KMJJ Enterprise, based out of Alabama. Although I believe that, um, Melissa, today you're gonna to be joining us from Williamsburg in Virginia, I believe. Excellent. So KMJJ is a veteran-owned and operated business that offers talent management solutions to all businesses focusing on helping military veterans transition uh, into the workplace, as well as non-veterans that, you know, just maybe had a look or struggling to find, you know, their place um, and get started uh, and with career opportunities. So in truth, Whilst I personally, for the audience and for you guys who follow my stuff, they know I don't have a military background. Uh, the reality is that, you know, when I work and coach businesses or sit on the boards, um, you know, I'm seriously impressed with what I see from, you know, ex-veterans, ex-servicemen and women coming into sort of city streets. The dedication, uh, the output, you know, in many cases is far higher than, than what I see out of traditional non-veteran people. And, uh, over my career, there's sort of two people I'd like to give a shout out. First and foremost is a gentleman called Mike Gordon. Mike Gordon secured an MBE for his services in the Bosnian Wars and RAF pilot. And Mike came out of the military service and, and actually became, eventually became the chief executive of a, um, one of the largest, if not the largest, private health companies in the UK, turning over a billion five healthcare at home, uh, and went on to really grow and, and, and drive that business. The other second person is Gary Scott, who I employed as one of my head of sales when we were in the PLC business. Uh, again, the discipline from Gary's RAF background. So for me, I've, I've both worked with and, and employed sort of ex-veterans, ex-military people. And, you know, been seriously impressed. So I suppose this podcast is pretty timely. It's been recorded at the beginning of 2019, uh, June 2019. And uh, we just celebrate, celebrated the 75th anniversary of D-Day. Uh, in London last week, um, you know, speaking for Digital Marketer uh, and keynoting out there on one of their partner training days. And, uh, you know, we're watching the newsreels and, you know, the sacrifices that the military people make. Uh, I just personally don't think that we do enough, uh, whether that's to really, you know, help them into work afterwards or uh, just to support them in general. Um, and I think we should do a lot more than that. And I know we heavily based around, you know, Remembrance Day and Popper Day, but, you know, I think this should be a year round thing. And that's just my personal thing. I'd love to get your view on this. If you want to use the hashtag, the open mic, uh, it would be awesome to sort of, um, you know, get your views on that and engage in it. And, uh, you know, let's see uh, if we can, you know, just raise the profile a little bit. And I know, you know, Melissa's going to do that today as well and talk about a lot of things about the work and the awesome work that, they, these guys do for ex-veterans. Uh, so welcome to the show, Melissa. I appreciate you taking the time for your busy schedule uh, to share all the topics, human resources, diversity, equity, and inclusion today. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. Very excited to be here. <laughs> it's a pleasure. So tell me a little bit more about your backstory. I mean, when I go down, um, you know, before we get into the Q&As, 
Um, I looked down at some executive position there, but sort of uh, three sort of stints in the US Navy. I think it was one month short of 20 years that I counted and, um, you know, from, from your LinkedIn profile month. So that's one hell of a commitment. And just share with us your background, how you got into the US Navy, uh, the roles that you did, and then, you know, the moment that, you know, you know, your background, how it's brought you to what you do at KMJJ. Uh, so background on me. So I have over actually over 30 years of HR experience. Yeah. I have never been active duty in the U.S. Navy. I have volunteered for the U.S. Yeah. Navy. The, the U.S. Navy has a program that is an official position, but it falls on the volunteer. Yeah. So we officially work for the commander of of the whether it's a captain or the officer in charge of the command where what when our spouses are attached to so it is official yeah uh, we sign um paperwork and everything that goes in into the department of the navy however we don't get paid it's 100 percent volunteer that's a great commitment isn't it yes so oh i love it it's it's amazing so pretty much my job is as an ombudsman to be the liaison between the command captain, yep. officer in charge to the families. There's a lot of confidentiality that is uh, involved. I can um, imagine. Yes. Um, I am a speaker for the Navy. So whenever we have, um, we have certain, well, you can say that we have certain events, but it's military for the military only, yep. um, especially those Prior to deployment, our spouses leaving because they leave between six months to a year. Yes. So uh, we gather and we sit down with pretty much the entire command and the family members, especially spouses. So they know what's going to happen. Give them an idea how that communication is going to uh, remain, if you will, because we can always secure that we're going to be able to connect with our spouses while they're gone because yep. the number one the, the key, the number one that above anything is security, is the security of our military spouses while they're gone. So we have to sit tight and wait until we can hear from them. Yeah. That's, and, and, and tell me, that, that, that must be worrying, uh, you know, and, and, and not confusing. So I suppose this, these events that you do where you, you're increasing that knowledge, I suppose you're giving them a, a pathway to understand the process. And would that be a fair reflection, Melissa? Of, of, you know, so they know what's happening, they know what channels to go through, and um, whether the sit tight and not worry is another matter. But you know, the, 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 they at least know understand the process. Would, would that be a fair reflection? Sure. Um, and, and one thing is, there's no worrying. Um, my husband has been in the military for many years. And yeah. to this day, there's, there's such a thing that I can say that I'm not worried. I, I'll be very sick before I take him to the ship and I see him walk on the brow and then say goodbye. Because yeah. we never know. Yeah. Um, but yes, that's pretty much, you know, how it is. Yeah. Uh, just talk to me. And it's slightly off script here, but I, I really want to do this because talk to me about the mindset that you know, that takes because, you know, I, I, there's a lot of things going off around mental health at the moment and, and things like that. And I actually interviewed a, a, an influencer called George Odson in the UK has been on BBC TV and things like that about mental health, but that's mental health in, in life and challenges. How much of a difference is that, uh, you know, when, you know, you've got a loved one in the, in the forces, maybe serving, whether it's active or, or whatever, you know, that must be a hell of a, a strain, you know, and certainly I, you know, in business, you get a lot of pressure, 
in life you get a brother issue, but that added pressure that my wife doesn't have to worry about that type of mental pressure with me going to work, if that makes sense. Uh, I, you know, hopefully I never have to, you know, face you know, the barrel of a gun or anything like that or active combat. So just talk to me, just slightly off script here, and I apologize for that, but I'm just curious myself, and I think the listeners would be as well before we get into the veteran stuff and, and the ex-servicemen. What type of extra pressure and other pressure does that put on you? So I truly appreciate this question because as a military couple, we go through a process before they even leave. You know, we go through a process in which we are just mad they're leaving and we just don't want to do anything or or say anything because we're just so mad because we're heartbroken because we know they're leaving. Yeah. And we get to the point that we'll fine leave. And then we forget that they're going exactly to the same thing. I'm leaving my family behind. I cannot just leave the ship and come to you whenever you need it. Because it's almost like a law. Seriously, it's almost like a law. The moment they get on the ship, the car breaks down. One of the kids needs an appendectomy. Uh, The refrigerator stops working. I mean, it's like a law. (laughs) We're home, nothing's happened, and then they leave, and everything in the house completely falls apart. Yeah. And then you have like, well, my spouse is not here. How am I supposed to handle all of this? It takes a lot of a person. It takes a lot of communication, and it takes a lot of resiliency to keep these marriages going. You you have to have a serious commitment, and communication must be open at all times. Yeah. That's, that, thank you for that. And um, yeah, it's, you know, I'm a fairly tough old boot, as I say, but I don't think I could cope with that. I, you know, and I, I don't know if you're either that type of person or you're not. And, uh, you know, it, it's a crazy thing to, it's so rewarding. And I understand I speak with Mike and Gary, you know, the ex RF people that, um, you know, I, I work with and uh, were and, and employ. And uh, they just say it's a way of life to them and they get used to it. But for me, um, maybe, you know, I know what my level is and, it, and it's not that. And uh, so credit and hats off to you. I, I, I totally and utterly respect, uh, you know, that for sure. So tell us a little bit more about what you're doing uh, outside of the volunteering, the career, um, your skills. Obviously, I look down at the skill sets that you have, um, you know, from, you know, executive and HR, diversity. You mentioned the 30 years. So just tell us a little bit more about some of the key roles that you've held and some of the sort of key achievements that uh, you know, you've you brought to both your own companies and uh, the other companies that you've worked for. Well, I tell you how I got into diversity. Um, my very first role was a receptionist in 1986 for Berlitz School of Languages. Right. And they never said the word diversity ever. But that is what, that is their foundation, diversity. Because in order for you to work there as an instructor, you have to be a native of the country, that that language you're going to teach. Otherwise, you can't teach the language because you don't have, you have to be a native. So you don't have that experience. You don't have that um, pronunciation. You know, you have to live there for a long time. So I never heard the word diversity, yet they are, they are quite diverse and quite inclusive because they all sit together and they discuss how they're going to put the curriculum together and how they teach. So that was my very first exposure to diversity, which if you hear my accent, (laughs) you'll know that that's key to who I am and and what I'm about. My next role actually, um, I have, although was an embossment for the military has always 
being around diversity because we have so many spouses from all over, you know, that come together. Uh, even when you have someone from the East Coast and someone from the West Coast in the United States, we're very different. You know, yeah, the- cultures are different. I mean, I, it's really funny. It's not just the time zone. When I interview people on the East Coast, I interviewed Henry Kaminsky Jr. out of New Jersey. And, you know, Henry's an awesome guy. And, I'm, you know, I think it was about episode 18 or something like that that we did with Henry. Um, and then you interview sort of Skip Miller, one of the leading sales uh, trainers over in San Francisco. And different people, but different lifestyles, different things. And then we did Leonard Kim a couple of weeks ago. He's like a social media influencer out of L.A. And, you know, that's all the L.A. vibe got off with Leonard. He was awesome. He's absolutely amazing. Learned so much of Leonard. But you're right. You know, they are different people and different characters. But it just seems that they are different countries and cultures type of play altogether. Yeah. Very different. Um, I had um, an ombudsman volunteer from New York, uh, talks very fast, walks very fast, everything is in a hurry. And then I had the one who was taking over for her from California, very laid back. Girl, <laughs> no need to rush. You know, nothing's going to happen. We can do it tomorrow. <laughs> different, adorable ladies, but very, very different. And then diversity, you know, how, how is that comes into play? Do you know what? I've not actually thought about it that way. And I mean, I interview people in the UK, uh, New Zealand, the, you know, the States, which obviously, like you said, is, is really three or so, four different sort of, sort of styles. Um, and, you know, I never thought about it that way. I'll probably be a little bit more nervous the next time I do. I've got three podcasts on, on Friday coming up. Uh, and, and I've got somebody in Arizona. I've got somebody in, uh, on the East Coast. And then I've got somebody right up in uh, Seattle, right up on the, the thing. So I'm now going to be panicking whether I should be sort of practicing. So you put the, you put the spooks up in there. But I never know to think about it. I just come in and see what the reaction of the person is. And then, you know, and trying to adjust my style to drive it that way. But uh, it is interesting. And you're absolutely right. There is such a different culture so how does that you know i suppose there's a big challenge there and we'll get that into the questions no doubt but uh, so tell us just some just as we, before we get into the questions uh, just tell us a little bit more about your career then as we as, as it brings you up to kmjj uh, after that i um tried to open my own company for a while translation services yep um, i at, and i was the uh, hr director uh, again diversity at play because it was translation services not like uh, Berlitz, but to, you know, work on, uh, it was pretty much for medical um, transcriptions and things yeah. like that. Um, and then I had the opportunity to actually establish and support diversity at an account with IBM, which I absolutely wow. loved. Yeah. Um, Lisa Watson, she was my mentor. I adore that lady. Yeah. So supportive, so empowering. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's like the perfect and I cannot say a boss because she was not a boss. That is yeah. the absolute perfect leader. Um, yeah. She was amazing. And she- what, what, what was it about that? Obviously, you're in and around the military sort of uh, environment. So, you know, there's a lot of leadership, discipline, respect. To get that in, a, especially corporate America, uh, you know, you hear, and I interview a lot of entrepreneurs, trust me, they, they come out of corporate America, the cubicle nations, and then they run a mile from it, you know, and things like that. So what, just, just, just for the listeners, what was it uh, in leadership? Because I'm, you know, I'm fascinated with leadership as a whole, in, just in general. What was it about her that you know, you know, reach, allows you to sort of give such kind words? She was all about inclusion. Right. Um, she, yes, absolutely. She was all about inclusion, yeah. empowering, uplifting. Um, when she called me, she, there was no micromanaging ever. Uh, it was amazing. Our phone calls were like you and I talking. 
it was like more as in, you know, let's go ahead and give and take, you know, what are your thoughts about this? It was never, well, this is what I want and this is it and do it. I think when you get a relationship like that, the trust become, it becomes automatic. The respect becomes too way on, you know, non-hierarchical. And that's what I like about, and, you know, I've got a couple of, uh, you know, relationships with my non-execs or other board members that were just exactly that. And it's difficult to describe sometimes. It just clicks. And, you know, it's boss by title more than by relationship. And I think, you know, that's what I try and deliver out. Sometimes you've got to be accountable. Well, you've got to be accountable all the time. But sometimes we need to know what's going off. But it's about allowing people to to be themselves and be and do good things, and I think that's it. And uh, sounds like you certainly have that one uh, there. And you're very very lucky because I think you're in the single percentile of corporate America that uh, delivers that. Absolutely. I mean, she was fantastic. She understood what the not just what the role was, but she knew what I needed to do in order for my role to be effective. Yep. And although. Um, Employee engagement was not part of it. She allowed me to add that to my role in order to succeed at it. So, I mean, it, you know, employee engagement is key, especially in corporate America, like you said. Absolutely. You know, people talk all the time, millennials want this and millennials want that. Well, guess what? Everybody should want what millennials want because <laughs> everybody should want to be included. Everybody should want to be respected. Everybody should want to know they're making an impact at work you know that we count so it was it was that was one of the greatest positions now that i didn't enjoy anything in the past i have done because i have i have been blessed or lucky however you like to see it to have had those leaders you know empowering me and learning from them but the one that will always stick with me most was was her because like i said she allowed me to to develop you know into an actual diversity practitioner and that was what actually prepared me i worked very hard to prepare me to a role as a chief diversity officer which is not easy to attain um this current leader that i have right now my boss the ceo very inclusive he's all about diversity all about inclusion hence uh, talent agency focus in veterans and their families because for fam uh, family military families especially spouses it's very difficult to get gainful employment they think well you're going to move every two three four yep. years yep no ROI I don't gonna have any return on investment on you because you're just gonna leave me after a few months yep. so you have a lot of spouses right now that the underemployment and unemployment for military spouses is quite high. There's no comparison to the wow. national. Because of that, they think, well, you know, you're not educated and you're just going to leave in a certain amount of time. I'm not going to spend my time with you. And that's not the case at all. I am very, very proud to say we have a lot of military spouses that are highly educated, yep. has their bachelor's degree. They have actually master's degree, PhDs, yeah. and many are in, are getting into the entrepreneurship. So it is amazing. You know, we're seeing now spouses that are almost as accomplished or more accomplished than their military spouses. That's amazing. And, you know, I, I sort of pull a face there, you know, in sort of horror, really, that, you know, people 
you know, would prejudice against that because it just seems that they're not looking at the deeper detail and they seem to be making decisions off the surface and not the reality. And, you know, um, I don't know if this is something that you've come across, but, you know, in our world, you know, um, we've got sort of three sides to our business. We've got the investment, what we do with the VCs. We have uh, the coaching sort of element, but the, the, the core brunt of the revenue of our business, Melissa, is our agency. We're a HubSpot inbound agency, if you want to call that. And uh, we have contractors all around the world from South Africa to the States, to Panama, to, to things like that. And I'm just wondering if that uh, there's an opportunity for you know, the spouses who maybe do have to move around a little bit, if that is the case, because of whether they can get into the digital remote working and, and train that way, because it doesn't matter whether you're sat on a beach in Bali, uh, you know, you're in downtown New Jersey or, or here in the, in the UK, you know, you've got a laptop, you know, and you've got a, a project management system and you can work as long as you've got an internet connection you can work so maybe there's an opportunity there but um but yeah it's it, it's always frustrating when i think people um you know just just sort of prejudice based off what they see initially so but it, you know i think that's what we're going to get onto, isn't it really and uh, so tell us how tell us how you arrived there so chief diversity officer uh you mentioned it's not easy to attain um maybe a lot is it misunderstanding is it is it just um that type of role uh, and then just tell us how you got into kmjj and a little and a little bit about what you the do there sorry so to to piggyback real quick of what you mentioned um i am a, a remote worker yeah. and um actually we have a military spouse who was recently featured in forbes magazine oh, wow yes she opened her own um agency and she actually hires military spouses to be virtual secretaries for other companies so the the capability is there um not certain how much can be sustained by just the spouses but the fact that you know diversity times up and the me too movement have opened all of this and brought this to the attention you know, in so many ways to, to bring diversity in, I think this is going to open that niche and allow that to, you know, to, to be more of a market availability, if you will. So I'm very happy about that. Yeah, that's, that's great. And if you want to look at more about what KMJJ do, you can visit the website at kmjjenterprise.com. We will put that in the show notes on the landing page for the podcast as well. And please do check out uh, Melissa on LinkedIn uh, and you can search KMJJ hyphen enterprise at the end of the LinkedIn URL. Again, we'll put that in the show notes. Please connect with Melissa, Melissa Af, uh, AF as the surname. Uh, but I've got to ask Melissa, there's a little bit of a story around that uh, short abbreviated surname as well. You were telling me pre we went on live. Just, just tell us for the course of the recording what the full surname is. <laughs> my, in, my complete full name is Melissa Arroyo hyphen Funderburg. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. But, but just search Melissa Af, AF on LinkedIn. Melissa would be delighted to connect with you. Uh, and again, on Twitter, you can do that at KMJJ underscore enterprise. So please connect with these guys, especially if you're ex-military. I know Gary listens to the podcast, so I'm sure you'll be getting another follower from Gary and things like that uh, as an ex-military. So um, that's cool. And as we move forward into the question sort of section, really just tap into your um, um, sort of knowledge, Melissa, and, and I know how passionate that you are just from speaking to you pre-show uh, about the diversity and the inclusion. Just tell us really, just for anybody who doesn't know what KMJJ do, um, a, a mini bio about the company, who it serves, what its core value proposition is, 
um, you know, and, and really why you exist, really, which I think we've got an idea, but in your own words, is always better. So Kim and Jay actually are the initials of the CEO's uh, children's names, which is absolutely adorable. Yeah. Um, the CEO himself is a veteran of the U.S. military. Um, and uh, every person that works for the company is actually a military family member. So he is very serious when he comes to helping the military families. About this. Practicing what we're preaching here for sure. 100%. Um, so the company is a talent agency. We uh, submit names and, and find the best qualified individual and submit names to our client and hopefully they get hired. We focus on military personnel, transitioning veterans and military spouses, DOD and civilians as well. Yep. But we, yep. want to, we want to um, provide the military um, with those opportunities uh, first. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not easy for them. Uh, there's this stigma, you know, that, the, you know, you come out of the military and you're broken or you don't have this, you know, uh, education level of education. You don't, you cannot work for corporate America. And that's not the case at all. Not every single military person, you know, decides to not go to school. You know, that, that should never be looked at it that way to employ a veteran. is one of the greatest thing anybody can do. They bring so much to the table. Yeah. Diversity, number one, they don't have a choice who they work with. So they will be exposed to whoever and whatever number of individuals, regardless where they're coming from. Yeah. That's number one. And so they have the diversity 100% cover. When they go, when they get into the military, you know, before they actually learn their trade, there's so much that they have to study. And they're actually subject matter experts at their uh, rate because the, everything they do is surrounding that specialty, that job specialty. Plus, on top of that, they have so many different jobs that they have to do. You know, uh, they, it's called um, little volunteer jobs that they do on the side, but it's actually part of the military work. So, so they have all these different niches, you know, so many verticals added to their main job that they do. So they bring a lot to corporate America. Yeah, brilliant, and it, it, and and it is a great, it, it it's a great dedication. Is it just in the states that you work in, um, or do you do do you do placements around the world at all? You know, obviously, you know, the servicemen and women that they're, they're used to traveling around the world, aren't they? So I just wondered if there is it just purely U.S. domestic, or is there opportunities uh, for KMJJ to um, work in either UK or Australia or New Zealand or you know Europe? So whatever the whatever positions the clients wants us to fill, that's what we focus on. Right now, we have a few abroad, yeah. but not that many. Yeah. Most of our positions are in the United States, but we do have some positions abroad. They will find it on our website, yeah. com. That's fantastic. And if you're driving and listening and you, you are ex-military and you want to connect, don't worry, we'll drop these in the show notes on the channel as well, so you'll get those. So Melissa, thanks very much indeed um, for giving us that backstory. I'm keen to tap into your knowledge and conscious of time as well. Um, you know, I, I sincerely appreciate the dedication that you give. Um, it's absolutely amazing to have you on the show. Um, so let's just dig into diversity, um, you know, and, and things like that. So when we talk, uh, you know, when you approach this, you know, well, the first question I suppose that I've got is, you know, the importance of inclusion. Just talk to me about your view around that and uh, why that's so important in today's work, and especially when you're working with the veterans and uh, ex-military. You know, to, to, in my opinion, to yeah. me, 
you cannot have inclusion if you don't have, you know, diversity and you cannot have diversity if you don't have inclusion. In fact, to me, you must have inclusion before you can, before you have diversity because having people from all aspects of, of you know, uh, from everywhere, you know, religion, uh, culture, gender, races, it, ages, if you are not willing to include them, make them part of what you're doing, then it doesn't matter. So yeah. you have to be inclusive, especially in the workplace. It's Absolutely. crucial to have everybody. And, and it's impossible, you know, to have everybody seated at the table when you have a meeting. But if it's uh, breaking down into, you know, department, so that leader for that, you know, department can sit at the table with the you know, other one and so forth. And that's how you get the inclusivity. Yeah, but absolutely. a department should be inclusive of their team. Yeah. Because everybody brings so many different experiences, level of education, background, beliefs. You know, we were all raised differently. And all of that contributes to who we are today. So when we sit together, you know, that's when, that's when the inclusion and diversity comes out. And it starts at the top, doesn't it, in the businesses? You know, it, it, it's got to be from the top. An old CEO, uh, uh, sorry, an old non-exec chairman of mine before, a guy called Bill McGraw, used to say, Mike, companies rot from the top. They're like compost teams. They rot from the top if, if you don't get that. And I'm assuming that this is absolutely relevant in this case, isn't it? Absolutely. If, if I don't have the support of my CEO, the diversity program will be non-existent. Yeah. In fact, um, the, the role of a diversity practitioner is to get themselves out of a job. <laughs> the harder we work and the more we make the team diverse and inclusive, the less there is for us to do. So we have to go somewhere else and get another job. And that's what I'm saying. You know, this job is hard to, to, to find. Yeah. It is. And, you know, I suppose it's a bit like a football coach, you know, eventually, you, not that you get fired for doing bad, but you move on to a different franchise or whatever you do, because you, you, if the work's good, you achieve it, you move on. So the art and science of recruitment, um, we've called the diversity of inclusion in there. I suppose that's an element of the art and science of recruitment. But in your opinion, you know, when you work in, in, in this role, what you do at KMJJ and things like that, just talk to me a little bit more about, you know, is it more of an art? Is it more of a science? Is it a combination? You know, what makes it good? What, what makes a good recruitment sort of drive or policy or structure? Oh, recruitment, such a bad word right now. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I would say recruitment is a little bit of everything. Um, you have to be good in sales. You have to be good with people. You have to know how to talk, how to, how to reach people, how to get them to open up. Yeah. Right yeah. now, recruitment, it's, it's sort of a, like I said, it's sort of a bad word, especially on LinkedIn. There's so much hate around recruitment right now because of the fear of AI and the lack of knowledge of ATS, yeah, you know, so some recruiters are amazing. They go the extra mile to get and find that, that I don't want to say the word perfect, but because there's no, no such as a perfect employee, but the best qualified candidate. Yeah. Um, and then some, some recruiters kind of just relied on ATS completely and we shouldn't do that. On top of that, uh, we have to add the fact that not all of us are given the feedback that is needed. So we have that, that hate trend towards recruitment right now. Yeah. Uh, recruitment is hard work. Yeah. Um, 
you have to know the job description to post. And yeah. the thing is that the job description that we're going to post for the candidate to meet those requirements are not, it's not something that uh, recruiters will write. It comes from the employer directly. And that's something that is not known uh, to a lot of people and candidates. They think that it's the recruiter writing that. Well, it's not. We're, we're posting that for the employer. Yeah. Um, so, so what you're saying is, you know, whether, you know, for the listeners who are entrepreneurs or businesses, corporates, you know, get the job spec accurate. You understand what you actually want the employees to do. Whether they're being ex-military or not is irrelevant at that sort of stage. But, the, you know, it's do the groundwork, isn't it? And, and, you know, you've got to give the recruitment company a better option to recruit and find the best candidates. And you're going to be able to uh, allow the best candidates to step forward to say, yes, I can raise my hand. I can do that job. And I'm assuming, especially the veterans will need this as well. Uh, more than probably non-veterans. But if people see that, um, hey, I can see what the job is, I can see what they expect of me, do I have that skill or not, they can approach that with more confidence and, and go into it with all the heart. And it's a win-win situation, I'm guessing. Well, actually, we, we're, we're seeing something right now quite, um, quite interesting. Yeah. Uh, but we have a lot of influencers telling candidates, apply for the job you want and don't worry about the requirements. Well, well, the requirements are there for a reason. Number one, you have to think of it as if you're the CEO of the company, will you hire, will you be willing to hire someone who doesn't have the level of education or the experience that you need? Because there's some, some fundamentals. You have some skills that are fundamental to the job they have to do. Yeah, yeah. That's the reason why the employer has the requirements because they have to ensure that they bring some of those skills. Now, that doesn't mean that someone who doesn't meet all the requirements is not going to be able to perform and actually do the job very well. That, that's the case. We find people out there that can that don't meet the requirements. But we're seeing a lot of people that have no requirements whatsoever. For example, um, I was talking to a colleague last week that told me we needed a subject matter expert, which is 20 years plus of experience. Yeah. Well, someone out of college applied. And I said, okay, so... If they have some uh, published articles, if they have done some research, if they, some, they have some substantial experience, even out of college, that they have been working on, then we can take a look at them. But yeah. we don't even get that on a cover letter. There's nothing. And sometimes not even a cover letter explaining the requirements if they meet it or not. Wow. So, like I said, it's, I mean, we would be here for a day explaining how critical it is for a recruiter to get a cover letter yep. explaining how we said that they meet the requirements because not everything is stated on a resume. Uh -huh. So it's not as easy as glamorous as people make it look. Yeah. You know, it takes a lot. We have to read a lot. We have to ensure that we know the requirements and that this employee is going to be a good fit because let me tell you, when a recruiter submits resume after resume, that that the person does not meet the requirements that recruiter is either, either going to get fired yep. or the agency is going to lose that client yeah yeah so it's not yeah. like the recruitment doesn't know what they're doing the, re the recruiter has to they have to find the best qualified candidate for that job 
Yeah, there's challenges all around there, isn't it? And sometimes that the source of the problem is direct with the people who want to hire. I get that for sure. So, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, having, especially about the inclusion, Melissa. And, you know, we talked about it being at the top. So, you know, the importance of having like a human resources focus. Um, yeah, being clear about your job roles and what you want to hire, you know, and the skill sets is one of them. What else would you add in there for, you know, entrepreneurs out there and, you know, whether, again, they're hiring military, non-military personnel? Um, you know, what is the keys to having, you know, or what are the steps that a business should take to make sure that they do have that human resources focus? Could you just sort of share with us your view on that as well, if you could, please? Well, I mean, human resources uh, is there... Um, it- pretty much you know aside from um, managing the the healthcare plans and yep. development and so forth they are responsible for company profitability yep. and there's something that a lot of people don't understand they just that's think, interesting yeah they they think that they're just there for training development and that's it well that you know it it, it takes it takes money, resources, time, you know, to outsource, to source, to interview, to hire, to train, to develop, and to accelerate people. Yeah, because they have a they have a direct impact on the bottom line, is what we're saying, isn't it? You know, it's you know, it's the you know, it's not just about recruiting and you know, managing grievances or you know, with a union or anything like that. You know, it's it's if I get the best people and I get the best out of them and I can take them down the track then ultimately the bottom line is going to improve. There's a great quote by Richard Branson, you know, the UK interpreter. And he says, you know, um, somebody said, well, why would I train my people? And he says, well, you know, if you train them and train them and train them, he says, well, you know, wouldn't be fearful that they're going to leave. And Richard Branson says, well, if you train them and train them and train them and you look after them, why wouldn't they want to leave? You're going to get the best out of them. So, and it's a great analogy. And I don't know exactly, I probably butchered that quote a little bit, but I don't know exactly what it is, but ultimately train them and look after them and they won't want to leave. And you look at, you know, people, People, like you say, have been in those type of companies that he's involved with and, and those are the great culture-based companies where people are 6, 10, 12, 20, 30 years in, you know, and, and they don't even, I wouldn't even look for another job. It's not about the money. It's about, you know, that work-life balance, isn't it? And, uh, you know, trying to get that you know, where, you know, and I know Starbucks, I'm a slightly off script again here, and I do that sometimes, Melissa, I apologize. The people who listen to the show know that on a regular basis. But if you look at Starbucks, their motto was always, you know, there's three important places in the world, this home, this work, and then Starbucks in the middle. And, you know, and that's how they position you. And, you know, it's like, the, you know, it's not quite home, it's not quite work, but it's a great place where you can do both type of thing. And, and ultimately, uh, you know, I just think that um, having that same culture mentality that Starbucks sort of created, you know, is, is an amazing thing if you can do that. And, you know, certainly you mentioned earlier about getting the ROI out of staff members. That ROI is going to be, you know, paid back sixfold, isn't it? Tenfold, twentyfold, whatever it would be if you look after them that way. So if somebody wanted to sort of, you know, what, you know, what would you pick out if somebody said, hey, is it get your culture right? Is it get your vision right? Is it something else to make sure that they have that resources focus? What would you say is the most important thing that they should sort of, you know, double down on and get good at? You know, it's a combination of everything. Yeah. Uh, in my opinion, culture is more as a, at a department level than company level because, yeah. you know, it's going to be very difficult to find someone that it just meets that cookie cutter style, if you will. And to be honest with you, as leaders, we should hire people that, are, that do not need our culture. 
Yeah. We don't want the same. We want someone that has a different way of thinking, that has a different approach, yep. that can actually take us in that innovative route that we desperately need. So when it comes to culture, for me, I would say it step outside of the box. Yeah. Um, you know that, and, and the, but that's me. <laughs> <laughs> so. I mean, it's a great viewpoint. And the great thing about these shows, if you've got a debate on that, shoot us a message, use the hashtag the open mic or leave us a comment on the blog or under the video below. And, uh, or connect with Melissa and you can take that up with a directly right, wrong, indifferent. The great thing about these shows is the influencers and the experts, you know, these guys work in there. These guys and girls work in this every day. They see what gets results. And, you know, you know sometimes we get questions when they said, hey, I don't agree with what you said there, Mike. And said, That's fine. No problem. You know, I'm not an authority on everything. I'm not an encyclopedia. I just have an opinion based on either personal experience or result. Or sometimes I might have a different opinion if it's a different business because it's just where it is on the cycle or something. So it is. And, and I think that different and fresh perspective challenge is certainly very, very critical. So thank you for sharing that. And so as, as we sort of start move out of the questions, just to tell us about EEO, Equal Employment Opportunity, and you know why that's so important. I mean, the obvious badge and, and, and badge that it sits is, is there, isn't it? So I don't want this to be a, the stupidest question of the podcast, but um, you know, why is it so important and why should it not just be given? Because I was in a boardroom um six weeks ago and this exact issue came up that's why i'm going to sort of uh, i'm keen to learn a little bit more about this and the ceo at the time just went yeah yeah equal opportunities yeah that's a given and i said but is it what are we doing about it what is his approach to it is it are we just brushing it off that we must do that or do we actually have a plan to do that and then so everybody in the room looked around and said God, I've never thought about that. It's just equal employment opportunities. Yeah, we do it. Do we? Do, are we focused on it? In the boardroom, maybe? What about the departments, the managers, the staff? Whoa. And then, sorry, open debate, and we probably had about a 15-minute debate about whether which departments could have come do it. So I'd love to learn a little bit about it from your side. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about EEO, if you could. So in the United States, uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission yeah. Um, it pretty much enforces civil rights. Yep. And uh, it, so a person can feel confident at work. There's not going to be any discrimination, regardless of race, gender, um, uh, disability, um, uh, religious beliefs, and yep. so forth. Um, it, it, it is critical for any corporation, and it's pretty much a law. And uh, it's it falls under the OFCCP, the Office yeah. Federal uh, Contract Compliance Program yeah. that enforces from the Department of Labor. Um, and if if a company is actually not um, doesn't have a EEO specialist, which usually they don't have to, they can have actually human resources take care of that. But it has to be enforced. Yes, or there can be some serious you know, legal issues, uh, uh, horrific lawsuits. That, that's something I just go, nope, nope, please, let's go ahead and, and stay focused on this at all times to avoid, you know, possible lawsuits because yeah. uh, no one should feel discriminated at work uh, yes. because they're a woman, because they're disabled, or, you know, because of their, their background. Yeah, and it's really funny. And the, the part that I didn't tell you uh, about the meeting I had, and thanks for sharing that, is when I said to them, so do we have an equal opportunities policy? And they couldn't produce one. I said, well, if you don't have one, you know, it's not difficult to produce, you know, obviously, you know, you 
you know, there is templates here in the UK that give you baselines against the law that you can, you know, uh, maybe manipulate is the wrong word, but customize to your own company about what they, but the core, um, or, you know, the core rules and, and legislation stay, but you can then customize the template is what I'm saying. Um, so, you know, if, you, if you're an employer and you don't have any equal opportunities, um, you know, policy, then, you know, it's something that's part of corporate governance, just making sure that you're running the business the right way. Um, and in Malaysia, is that, is that something that's law in the, U, in the US, that they've got to have that as part of their, you know, uh, compliance uh, policies, or is it optional for businesses of a certain size? No, 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 it, it, it is compliance. It is yeah. comply with the Department of Labor, which, you know, it, it's a law. Now, they don't have to have an equal opportunity uh, specialist yeah. The human resources department can take care of that. But if the company, the organization is big enough to have a specialist, will be even better. Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, and that's important. So, you know, if you're not sure, you know, go and speak to the person who looks after your compliance, you know, go to HR. Um, if you're not sure, but by all means, uh, you know, make sure you get a copy of that or check your company handbook or employee handbook or whatever that may be. Um, so as we wrap out on the question, the final question that we've got is, tell me more about the ADA. Now, this is specific to the American and the U.S. domestic market than it is uh, here. Um, what I'm going to do, I'm going to do a little bit more research for the U.K. and Europe audiences as well. Um, and I know we have a, a Disability Act here in the U.K., but from the U.S. domestic side, uh, Melissa, tell me about the ADA, the American Disability Act, and, uh, you know, you know, your approach to that and, and, and you know, I'm assuming that that would also come in if we're trying to place veterans that's maybe been injured in, in active service and things like that. So tell us a little bit more about that and, uh, you know, what, what people should be mindful of. That American Disabilities Act was enacted in 1990. And I think it's one of the most crucial and greatest things the United States of America has ever done because not every disability is visible. Yep, absolutely. And uh, you have people that, you know, you see them walking and speaking and functioning perfectly. That doesn't mean that there is something else that is, you know, that it falls under a disability. So that is one of the greatest things that we could have ever done, especially when it comes to protected, protected veterans. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, do you see, do you see evident that they do discriminate, you know, against dis, you know, disabled or injured veterans? Do you see that as much or do, do they brush it away? Are they, are they dedicated to it? You know, what's your experience when, you know, recruiting, uh, you know, and, and working against this act? So for the most part, uh, veterans and pretty much everybody else, they're very open when it comes to that and said, I have a disability, so I fall under the ADA yeah. and so forth. Yeah. So they're very good. Um, and the past people didn't want to say anything about it because they thought there's going to be this stigma that I cannot perform the job. But now because those laws are in place and they're to protect the employee, um, they're more open about it. And we hear from the very beginning, as soon as we start the interview process, they tell us on the spot, I do have a disability yeah. and I do need uh, certain things in place for me to perform the job, which is mm. great. We actually have that in our, in our application. Yep. That, that's awesome. And just a, just a quick one here, uh, Melissa, I saw on Sky News um, a, a, a documentary about I think it was probably quarter one this year, and they were all doing about the disabilities. Um, there was interviewing this teenage girl. She was 19 years old. She wasn't a veteran or you know anything like she was 19 years old. 
But what brings home, and I want all the audience, if you're an employer, I want you to think deep about this because it's related to what um, Melissa brought up, which is a great point. Um, the Sky News report was that this, this lady, she was 19, and she was talking about the, the issues that she faced about the non-visible disabilities that you touched on. And I haven't prepared on this. It's just come back in my mind, so I'm shooting a little bit from the hip. Um, and the abuse that she actually got, she was actually queuing outside of a disabled toilet. Um, and she's queuing outside of a disabled toilet. She eventually goes into the disabled toilet. And when she comes out, because she's sort of a little, a little bit fashionable, if you want to call it that, and, and 19, you know, 19 years old, um, the abuse that she got when she came out from people, you shouldn't be using the disabled toilet, you know, blah, 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 blah. And the lady actually had a bag, a cluster bag on, and, you know, she, she had to go in and she felt uncomfortable. But she was, and, there was, and Sky did a great documentary about raising that. So that's a, that's a public experience or, you know, humiliation or whatever that she, an abuse that she necessarily had to face. But I'm sure that that's evident again in the workplace. So, you know, if you are employing people, you know, see past that, you know, just because this lady was 19 and she wanted to use the disabled, she wasn't trying to shortcut it, she cut the queue, she had a genuine reason. And, uh, you know, the girl's in tears, uh, you know, doing the interview and she gets it all the time. And, you know, because it's not visible, uh, people assume or presume and, you know, slightly different example, but, you know, it, no doubt, it, you know, that discrimination, um, you know, you do see in the workplace sometimes and, and you know, it's awfully wrong. And uh, so it's, it's about being mindful of it. And you know, just because the disabled or disability, you know, uh, related, it doesn't mean to say, like you said, Melissa, that they either can't do the job or can't do the job better because they're very resourceful, you know. And, um, uh, and, and you know, I, I felt pretty sick about that documentary that, you know, people do that. And, and I know as, as people that we judge and we shouldn't, but there's a great saying, isn't there, about don't judge a book by its cover, but, you know, respectfully, people do, don't they? And, and so, you know, what, what piece of advice would you give to employees? You know, and I know there's an act there, both in the States and there's the Disability Act here in the UK. Uh, but what would you say to people, you know, about that? Because I don't think anybody intentionally goes in to discriminate, but, you know, whether it's, do you think that's a culture thing that they do? Do you think that they, they think that it's more hassle? You know, what, is there any myths that we could bust out here, uh, Melissa, for people to sort of, you know, focus and double down on, on the disability stuff that, and, and see the benefits of employing people with disabilities? Um, actually, that falls under, you know, it, our prejudice because we have conscious and unconscious biases and we have this yeah. preconceived notion that we believe that if we see or hear the word disable, somebody's going to come out with a wheel in a wheelchair yeah. or walking a dog and that's not the case. Yeah. We have to be more empathetic. We have to be more cognizant to the fact that not every disability is visible. We have to be very cautious about how we react and be a little more open-minded. You know, it, it's, we, have to, we have to actually fine-tune our lenses, if you will, to go past that. We have to make a conscious, uh, uh, we have to be very conscious about our biases, uh, unconscious and unconscious biases. And we really have to do better when it comes to, you know, making just judgments as soon as we see someone and give them the benefit of the doubt. Like you said, don't judge a book by its cover. Yeah, absolutely. And rightly said, well said, and certainly endorse that. So sharpen up, guys. You know, um, you know, nobody goes out to break the law or do it intentionally, but, you know, maybe think before you speak or, you know, try and work a situation out or ask a question before being judgmental for certain. Uh, that's, that, that, you know, that, that would certainly be a good play. Um, so 
Melissa, I sincerely appreciate your time today. I think the value that you brought is immense. Thank you very much indeed. Um, I've really enjoyed learning about, you know, the, the, the great work that you're doing at KMJJ, not only for veterans, but for other people as well. Um, and again, if you want to visit these guys, uh, you can get them on Twitter at KMJJ underscore enterprise. Uh, Facebook, uh, KMJJ Enterprise, uh, after Facebook.com, of course. Search Melissa Aff, AF on LinkedIn or visit them online. Um, and you can do that at KMJJEnterprise.com. Um, so, Melissa, if we could summarize up, and I know there's so much to deal with from diversity, from inclusion, from uh, you know, equality, from equity, all that type of thing. If we could sum up, you know, for the UK audience, the American audience, the, you know, the entrepreneurs out there who are recruiting and employing and wanting to get the best ROI out of the staff and create awesome environments. If we could sort of give three tips to sort of essentials that they absolutely must do as expected value, what would you, what would you say those would be? I'm actually going to um, uh, tell something that Verna Myers, she is uh, an excellent diversity practitioner. She said... Diversity is being invited to the party. Uh, inclusion is being invited to the dance floor, if you will. And I, I, don't, I don't think anybody can say that better than, than her because awesome. it's true. You know, you, can, you cannot have a group of people just from all, you know, source of the world and just have them standing there and not do anything at all. You know, if we're going to do that, then let's go all the way. Perfect. No. Um, you know, when it comes to veterans, you know, veterans can do a lot. They bring a lot to the table. They're very smart. Uh, they're, they are all about their country and not just for the military, but they love their country. Not everybody joined because they wanted just to serve in the military. Some joined to travel the world. Some join, you know, to get in a train. But at the end of the day, they decide to stay because it's their love for their country that, that keeps them there. So give them a chance. Um, you, you as veterans are amazing people. You know, they, they bring a lot to the table. Definitely. And, yeah. um, when it comes to, um, you know, uh, civil rights, it, it serves no purpose to us to go back prior to the civil rights movement. You know, we, we have accomplished so much. And the only way we're going to go and, and move forward and make everything easier for everyone and, and you know, bring this world together it's being open to diversity and inclusion. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and very well said. And congratulations again for the work that you do. Um, you know, having looked at the research prior to the podcast, you know, I can see the dedication, you know, I've niched down on that. And uh, I'm sure that, you know, the veterans are going to get a great deal of value from, you know, working with you guys and, uh, you know, maybe just help them transition back into that if that's, you know, when they decided to come out or whatever it would be. So thanks ever so much for being on the show, Melissa. I've sincerely uh, enjoyed speaking to you, uh, learning from you as well. Some great points there. My, my show book, I've got plenty of notes here. I'll be writing those up and getting them done. Um, again, you can connect with KMJJ on social media. Just search that there uh, or visit the website at kmjjenterprise.com. So we appreciate you being on the show. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thanks again, Melissa. It's been, I've, I've really thoroughly enjoyed it. So do I. <laughs> Fantastic, guys. So think about your HR policies. 
Um, HR, you know, I only joke about it. People can your big, biggest asset or your biggest liability, but if you recruit right, train right, develop right, you know, look after your people right, especially the veterans, you're going to get a lot better return and your business is going to move and your bottom line is going to improve. So thanks for tuning in today. We appreciate you joining us and continuing your growth engine development. As always, get in the game, go do the hustle, go make it happen, and we're going to see you on the next show real soon. You have been listening to The Open Mic, brought to you by The Success Hub. To find out more and to get the resources we have mentioned in this podcast episode, simply visit blog.thesuccesshub.io and view the podcast section. Thanks for listening and we look forward to catching up with you in our next episode. This podcast and associated materials is published under copyright to The Success Hub. All rights reserved. No reproduction of this material is permitted.